Welcome to episode 332 of Destination Linux. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing Blend OS. We're going to put the immutable operating system to the test. Then we're going to be discussing if the future is in the cloud-based operating systems. The one we're going to talk about, hopefully not, but in some cases, maybe. So that'll be interesting. I'm your most important host of the show, Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. And if you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. We have all of this to talk about, plus our tips, tricks, and software picks, and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week in our community feedback, we have feedback from Wolfgang. Wolfgang Puck, maybe. We don't know. That'd be awesome. Could be Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> that would be awesome. And they said, just want to quickly get in on the 1D10T topic. So we got a lot of emails from this 1D10T. <laughs> if you're not sure what we're talking about, neither did Michael and I until Jill explained it <laughs> to us in an earlier episode that you can find out. But they go on to say, I went to a school in Australia. Austria called HTL, which is kind of a tech college that you start at at the age of 15 and is being taught by people also working in the tech industry. Once there in the workshops, a student misbehaved or misbelieved a bit and the teacher sent him to get a wood welding device from the other workshop. The teacher there knew exactly what to do and made him carry the biggest device he could find back to the original workshop where the student was told to bring it back and be less of a 1D10T. See how I worked your thing in there? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I wanted to write you for a long time now. Your show helped me through my renovation of my house and fueled me to go on. Thank you so much for all the hard work you're putting into the show. Also, Michael, be nicer to Ryan. I really appreciate that. All the best from Austria. That is and, not at all what that says. You know, I appreciate <laughs> so many of you out there sticking up for me. Michael often picks on me, and it's nice that <laughs> the community at least has my back and will, uh, you know, put Michael in his place because he's just sometimes he just goes too far. It makes me feel sad. So, a, for those who are curious about what the actual sentence in the email, it, it said Ryan be nicer to Michael. It's but, impossible. With but what's wing. funny about this is that I am equally trolling Ryan most of the time that he trolls me. So it's kind of funny how, for some reason, everybody just I sees only Ryan get the troll. the negative feedback. Always. <laughs> always. Michael I could literally that. say like something that. on the show that's like, I don't know, he'll be like, <laughs> I love to kick kittens on the weekend. And then people will write in and be like, tell Ryan I'm really disappointed in him wanting to kick kittens on the weekend. I'm like, how did they even... Aww. Make so the best me- part about that is that's literally happened. Not the kitten thing, <laughs> yes. but it's literally happened where I would say something that would people would be disagreeing with, and then they would associate it to Ryan for some reason. Always. If it's negative, <laughs> it's Ryan. So that should be a shirt, a Ryan shirt. You can get your Destination Linux. If it's negative, it's Ryan shirt at our store. Go or we could have it. It's Ryan's fault or Ryan said it. We'll, yeah. we'll yeah, figure it out. We're cool. sure Ryan said it. <laughs> No, thank you, Wolfgang, for Aww. the uh, email. And we love that so many people got in on this 1D10T thing. I think people really enjoyed the fact that Jill <laughs> had this knowledge <laughs> of this thing and me and you were completely complacent. Completely to it. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think people enjoyed that a lot. And I also want, would, would like to hope to think that they also enjoyed the special effects that I did on that episode. Yes, with yes. that was so good. 1D10T like label and whatever. <laughs> that with, was with the great. explosion. Michael. Yes. Go thank check it out. Thank you, Wolfgang, oh. for your kind words. That was so Of sweet. course you say thank you, Wolfgang. He didn't say anything negative about you, Joe. <laughs> yeah. 
This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and LinStore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community, and they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms and OSs without vendor lock-in. What that means is, is that you could choose the software on any platform, including specific hardware that you want to use or just off-the-shelf hardware that you get and connect it. You get, all of this stuff can be interchanged really easily. And with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration. Whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula, there's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit is run by its founders to this day, and all of its engineers and developers are in-house with offices in Europe and North America, which allows them to have global 24-7 support to complement their enterprise offerings. Visit linbit.com to learn more about the people behind Linbit and the awesome software for block storage, duplication, and more. Last week, I mentioned in the introduction that my name was Thanos. It was and weird. I said yep. that I would tell people what that meant in this episode. And I am here to confirm that indeed, I have ascended above all other Linux distros. I have now ascended <laughs> above even the Arch users out there. See, before me and the Arch users were one, we were above all of you Ubuntu and Fedora and Debian users. But now I've taken it to a whole nother level. Oh, wow. Because like Thanos in the stones, I can use them all. There mm. we have Arch. Right there we have Fedora. Right there we have Ubuntu. <laughs> right there we might have Alma Linux. Whatever I want in my gauntlet I have because I have finally installed and started utilizing Blend OS. Oh, okay. That's where we're going with this. That's ah. where I've been going with this. <laughs> and Blend OS is been an incredible experience. Now we've had a lot of people writing us in the community, like you need to check out immutable OSs, you got to see what it's all about. And Michael and I were talking, I think it was last week, maybe it was the before that, and we were saying like, hey, you know, we really need to take this whole immutable OS and try it really seriously. And then when I saw that Blend OS was based on Arch, that was kind of my first cue that, hey, I want to go try this and see what they can do with Arch. Because you know, Arch is amazing, but it's not for everybody. And it does take a lot of setup. I'm talking about pure Arch. And there are thing, ways that you can get around that with Manjaro and other things. But it takes some getting used to. Because they'll say that's not pure Arch, blah, 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 blah. Plus, there's the issue with stability that can come up. Because it, the way it's on the cutting edge, it doesn't have that easy rollback system like maybe Tumbleweed or others This do. is a very weird experience of someone who's like big pro Arch user admitting its faults. Like, what's happening? I mean, happening? listen, wow. nothing's perfect. It's just the closest thing to perfect that we've had in Linux. Oh, I see. Up until now, where now I can have everything, Fedora, Debian, Ubuntu, Alma, all in one operating system under my control. And that has been absolutely amazing. So to put this in perspective, this isn't just something where I've run a little test, I put it in a VM and tried it out. For the last two weeks, including right now, the whole show including the things like using Pipewire and patching our patrons in and all of that has been done thanks to Blend OS. And it has been absolutely 
phenomenally stable, like just next level excitement that I've ha- I haven't had for a distro in a really, really long time. Like this thing is incredible. I'm not really a distro hopper and I pretty much have decided that I will be continuing to use Blend OS for at least a little while because this is very interesting. It's so, I don't feel like Thanos because uh, clearly I don't have one of those gauntlets, which although, by the way, you have an Iron Man gauntlet. It's just it's a little well, it's different. It's the Iron Man <laughs> version of the Thanos gauntlet, right? Oh, okay. He, the, I see. It, it still counts. I just didn't have that particular toy in my my kids didn't have that toy because I didn't buy that. Whoa, myself. I highly oh. doubt that this is the case. I'm pretty sure this is the Ryan toy. <laughs> That's the whole purpose of having kids. So you can blame the toys on them. Exactly. But Michael, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you're running Blend OS. I assume you like mean you looked at some screenshots and things like that because unfortunately, due to the complexity of a distro that has ascended me so high above everyone else, you probably wouldn't even know how to run this. Now, Jill, sure, Jill <laughs> could run this. But you, what did you do? Like install it in a VM or what? So I installed it on my machine, on my desktop, and I'm currently running it for the show. Yay. So uh, for reference We're point, proud. for those, for this is an example of Ryan giving me a hard time. And that you should also listen to Wolfgang and say, be nicer, Ryan, be nicer. <laughs> it's not about being nicer. It's just, you know, this is this is advanced stuff. It I is advanced stuff. You- and also, I, I used to kind of contribute to various distros, including Arch, back in the day. Just, just uh, if you didn't know that, Ryan, you should. That's it's a good tidbit to know. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That's good. I contributed <laughs> to Arch too. I, I actually contributed to the Arch Wiki. Me too. And, and my con- contribution was immediately removed and replaced. Me with too. <laughs> I actually provided a really good piece of cha- of t- content for the wiki and uh-huh. they said hey great piece of content but it's not formatted right and then they basically changed everything that I did and moved it to like three or four very different similar pages experience. yeah yeah <laughs> very similar experience so what is blend os that we're so excited about well blend os is a linux distribution that's aims to be this one-stop shop for everything you're computing these if you have an issue with distro hopping which i know a lot of you do because I've had a problem with distro hopping in the past. Michael used to be a distro hopper. Jill, you just have every distro on the planet running (laughs) on all 8,000 computers. She's not a hopper. She's just a a collector of distros. (laughs) Yeah, She's She's a a distro hoarder. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Blend OS allows you to kind of stop that for a lot of reasons because you could have all of the great things that you enjoy about, say, Arch. You would have access to the AUR which is one of the key things that Arch does, the Arch Wiki. If you like to do your configurations, utilizing the Arch Wiki, and you want a terminal that's more familiar, the commands, the uh, file names, all of that stuff being the same as the Arch Wiki. So you're doing, you could do that in this OS because it has an Arch base, of course, and you can also set up uh, through its blend system additional distros and things that you want to work on. So Android apps. That's another one. You want to do install Android apps, you can Very set cool. that up in a separate container. You want Debian, you could set that up in a separate container. And all of this is through a very simple menu system that you can just launch and do it. And then you can create associations as well so that in your main terminal, you could run all of those commands. You could run apt, you can run a, the uh, AUR, so like yay commands. You can do all of that right there. So it gives you the power of all the distros you want. doesn't have them all by default. You get to choose which ones you want to intermix and be able to just have at your fingertips all the power of all the distros. I don't know if this continues to be stable 
why I would choose anything else for my desktop. This is very interesting because there's so many cool pieces about Blend OS that I'm a big fan of. I think that's a fascinating distro, but I don't think it's for everyone. I'm glad that there isn't a lot of emphasis on flat packs in the distro, like the Discover store, or well, just in general, like the default, every time I did something, it was the flat pack, unless I went into a specific container terminal. But when you want to, when you said earlier that there's a simple menu and there is to create these containers, but once you launch the container, you have a terminal. So if you're not familiar with the Linux, especially with like the various different package managers of all the different distros, then this is kind of a super powered Swiss army knife for tinkerers or an enthusiast dream because you have all the cool stuff that you want but you still need to know how to use it. So it's more of like an intermediate user or an experienced user. True. And for me, it's you know basically what I want. I have everything that I want to use as far as whatever packages. If I want to use DNF, I can. If I want to use Pac-Man, I can. And if I want Flatpak, I can. That sounds awesome. And I don't know how much I will be on the, the threshold of ascension as Ryan has, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> I run Blend OS, by the way, in case anybody was wondering. I'm currently uh, running Blend OS as well, by the way, Ryan. Oh, okay. Jill, <laughs> what I, do you think of Blend OS? Oh, I've been, been loving it. Because like you said, I have so many distros installed on so many different machines. It's just nice to bring all the distros <laughs> together, at least all, you know, the main distros together in one place. Yeah. It's actually brilliant. And I actually installed Blend OS, the XFCE edition ISO onto an old iMac and it worked beautifully. Oh, wow. And I used that, that iMac to do the show notes today. I was impressed with the installer it it's so simple yeah, so well it's done so well done yep. and it auto starts when you run the live iso for the first time and uh it's it's based off of the jade gui and it's very minimal easy to navigate and so freaking fast i yes. I, I think it was the fastest install <laughs> i couldn't ever believe had. it was done i was like oh that broke i, I remember know. thinking that in my like mind like, that didn't work it was like yeah. two minutes on our old computer <laughs> So yeah. I was really impressed. And it has a nice, really nice welcome screen with information on how to create containers for different distros and a handy button to click to op open BlendOS settings to create your containers. And I actually created an Arch and an Ubuntu 22.04 container. And I installed Gedit in the Ubuntu container and Steam in the Arch container. And also in BlendOS settings, I really like the association settings, which allow you to associate applications to distro containers, such as apt to Ubuntu and DNF to Fedora. So when you are in the default terminal of BlendOS and you type sudo apt get install, it, uh, whatever program you want, it will automatically launch with the Ubuntu container and understand the command. I thought that, that was cool. brilliant. Yes, it's not only that is brilliant, but first of all, this is immutable. So someone might be asking, well, why don't I just take Fedora, Arch, or whatever, and then set up a bunch of virtual machines and do all of that? So I think what Jill just explained there is one difference, right? Is the ability to have one terminal where you can create these associations and be able to run everything right there. But the OS itself is immutable, which means the file system and the operating system, it's in the kernel and everything, that can't be touched. It can't be changed. It's not going to be broken 
with the different apps that you try to install or anything Challenge else that happens. Accepted. It's immutable, right? That's the whole goal mm-hmm. of this. So that, that makes it different there as well, which also allows you to do rollbacks if anything was to have a problem. But it basically takes care of all of the updates of the operating system itself because no matter what happens with the operating system, it's containerized itself separately from the applications and things that you have on your machine. So this creates another unique use case for this in which that you're not going to get in a VM where when I actually launch one of those containers, like let's say I launch a Ubuntu container, the terminal for that, and I go into my directory, it's showing me my main files and directories from my regular home, meaning it's not creating a separate home for each virtual machine and things out there or separate documents or downloads folders and all of that. It's showing me all my files there. So for instance, if an application was made specifically for Arch or something along those lines, I could just run it and and utilize it, but I could see it in any of the containers uh, that I go into. Not only that, though, there's all this debate of what's the best desktop environment. And frankly, a lot of them have gotten so good that sometimes I feel like KDE, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like GNOME, sometimes I feel like a little cinnamon. And with this distro, one of the things that I tested out is you can change your desktop environment anytime you want. And when you would do that in other distros, what happens is like if I went from KDE to GNOME or GNOME to KDE, you would get duplications a lot of times of the file managers of other KDE tools or other GNOME tools in there. Just leftover stuff, yeah. Leftover stuff all over the place. It can create a disaster. Here, that's not an issue. Again, because of the containerized system of this, Michael gave me the challenge that I want you to switch and keep switching back and forth from KDE to GNOME to LXQt, then back to KDE, then back to GNOME and all of this. And I did that and have had absolutely zero duplication of file wow. managers or anything else. And everything works each time I switch perfectly. Like I'm in a full out GNOME, all my files and apps are still there. I do the KDE. All my files and apps are there. No duplication of system tools. It's just amazing. Like, it's amazing. I can't believe it. I can't believe it took us this long to check this out. It's that good. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There's been quite a few versions for this. And I also really like the fact that the welcome screen prompts you to start building the containers immediately. Yes. The thing that I feel is the most interesting is the combination of having the ability to just use the application from wherever you want it to be. So we're talking about how we have the different container options. But once you create the association, you can essentially just have that application in your system and then launch it and you're good. And it feels like it's a native to the main distro, like the main base. You don't even have to think about it anymore. And that's just fantastic. And for those who are thinking about what's the difference between a container and a virtual machine, a virtual machine is like an entire operating system. And a container is... Similar, but it also uses more pieces of the core system that it's hosted on. So that's why the things so most of the time are faster when it's a containerized system versus a virtual machine. And then you've got the Android store as well. So if you want to use F-Droid or the Aurora store and install some mobile applications on your machine, you can containerize that too. They're all available to you right in that same settings panel there. So the gaming I tested worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Did CSGO? Did Borderlands 2, frame rate was high, none of that breaking up over the screen or any issues with drivers and things. In fact, they have a whole system set up so that if you want to pull drivers, say from Arch or things, like you want the OpenGL for your Pro 
uh, settings for OpenGL from your AMD card, you can go pull that package in and install it. They have a whole system set up for installing the drivers you want. Pipewire, obviously, works amazing. I've been using it for last two shows that we've done. I just, the 4K monitors, I have dual monitors set up. Everything works perfectly there. I was able to set up my displays. Mm -hmm. No issue with setting resolution and other things, no matter what DE I was in with this. Like, somehow, this is like flawless victory in a distribution. I am shocked that, like, everything is working so freaking well. Yeah. Like, so well. So, uh, that is, for the most part, I agree. There's a lot of awesome stuff with Blend OS, but there are some issues. For what, example, Michael, how dare you? See, this is why you haven't ascended. <laughs> I'm, I'm recognizing that there are issues that need to be addressed. Uh, no, there's none. It's perfect. Go use Blend OS. <laughs> so Blend OS is not for everyone. We've talked about that. There are things that makes it a little bit more, you need to have at least a little bit of experience or willingness to tinker because- sure. You shouldn't expect it to be beginner friendly, so you wouldn't give it to your grandmother or grandmother. It's big brained. Okay, we get that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, okay, sure. The other thing is, is sometimes there are things that are not included in the DE or not included in this in the setup that's immutable that makes it difficult to implement something. For example, I wanted to use KDE Connect, and with every Plasma distro I have used in the past couple of years, they all have KDE Connect installed by default, ready to go. And it's not there in the Blend OS setup. So I went to go install it. And then I realized I can't because I searched for the uh, Pac-Man feature of KD Connect. It's in Pac-Man. It's, it's in the Arch repository, but you can't install it. When I try to, like the system settings, when you go into the container system, it goes and says that you can install directly in the Arch container, but you can also do it on the system packages that are just kind of like, getting past the immutable part. And I don't know if I need to get past the immutable part for the KD Connect stuff, but I think I do. And when I tried to do it, it it didn't work. So this might be something that has to be built in by the developers of BlendOS as a part of the immutable system. And that is a little bit of a bummer. Okay, but if you go into Discover, I see KDE Connect there and I was able to install it. So what's the issue? What? I'm in Discover right now. I typed in KD Connect. It I went up K- and I clicked install and I have it here and I've just launched it. Now it does say cannot connect to the KD Connect DB system, which means you need flat seal in order to give it the proper permissions okay, to yeah. open that up in or as a flat pack. Ryan is trying to call me out on stuff and I'm gonna call him right back on the things that he's wrong about <laughs> because yes, KD Connect is in there with the indicator, the indicator system of KD Connect. Not actually mm. KDE Connect. I you still you. need okay. the other stuff. I don't other, use it, so I didn't know. I just saw it yeah. there. Well, I was going to call out, you out son. live. <laughs> Got me. Okay, okay. So you need KDE Connect, and we need to make that simpler. What else do you have? What else do you have? Negative. Mr. Negative Pants. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. That's it? A whole that's, distro. That's the only complaint that's you have pretty is good, KDE Michael. Connect. So that's far, good. I mean, yeah. I've been using it for a past week or so, and... It's been great. So there's certain things that it's like, I would just say, I highly recommend it to people who are like us, who are very enthusiastic with Linux and want to tinker and play around with stuff. I think it is fantastic. No hesitation, not even the slightest. If you have experience with Linux and are wanting something like very flexible and very powerful, Mm -hmm. it basically makes it feel like there are no limits to your system. 
And for me, that's awesome. And it has me excited to continue like kicking the tires, but it is not for everyone. And I just want to make that clear. There are other immutable systems that might be better for those kinds of people because they're more limited. There's a conversation I had with people in the Discord server about immutable systems and what the value is. I think this is kind of a great example that immutable can be both good for people who don't want things to change and don't want things to break. So their net, their base level system never changes. And you would have something like Fedora Silverblue and stuff like that. And then you have Blend OS where you have a lot of control, even with the blend, the, the immutable part, and maybe even because of the immutable part with the containers and all that. So I think that this is a great example that immutable can be both beginner-friendly and advanced-friendly, but not at the same time. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because like SteamOS, for instance, that's great for beginners. I mean, it just, you install flat packs. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's made to be easy for the, the first-time user. Which one was first, BlendOS or SteamOS? SteamOS. SteamOS. Because I sure. feel like SteamOS has kind of created this concept of what would be the perfect arch. Like, to, <laughs> yeah. to me, to me, and, and, and everyone's going to laugh, but seriously, I think Arch is the greatest Linux experiment if you have the knowledge that you can have as far as being able to get every package you need. Like some of the things you can do with AMD, for instance, where I just want the OpenGL pro proprietary portion mm-hmm. of the AMD driver, but the rest I want to leave completely non-proprietary drivers. Things that you can do in Arch are so much more difficult to do in other distros or not even available because the AUR is so powerful, but the AUR is also dangerous in some ways, right? Like if you don't know what you're doing, you could potentially be downloading. I mean, it's community packages and things. Yeah. So it's, it's not perfect. And then there's the constantly being on the cutting edge is so awesome. You get the latest hardware, you can run it and all of that, but then you've got the stability problem. So Arch has such an amazing experience, but Steam OS kind of was the first one that was like, what if we made it immutable? And then it uh-huh. really doesn't matter. And then we containerize everything into flat packs. And now you have a stable arch that allows you to roll back updates in a moment's notice if you need to. But the OS is separate from all the applications. So things aren't messing with each other. And you get the best of both worlds. And then Blend OS was like, I'll one up that. I'll give you Fedora, Ubuntu, Oma Linux, and Debian, <laughs> and everything else right here on top of Arch as well. And I don't know. It feels like just what an amazing idea that, honestly, I expected to boot up Blend OS and see a convoluted mess. That's honestly what I expected. I'm going to combine all operating systems into one. Okay, good luck. That's going to go well. And here I am. This like, has this just, has wow. been tested before. This has been tried to do with multiple package managers, multiple different distro repositories. This has been this is not the first time it's been attested, yeah. but it is the first time I know of with an immutable system as the underlying base for it. All the other ones are doing like cheruting and a bunch of other combinations of things. This is basically let's simplify that process, put it under containers, put it in our immutable system, and then see how it works. And so far, it works very well. The thing about the arch with the SteamOS immutable part is funny because there's also some complaints with related to the SteamOS implementation of the arch immutable in that they don't really update the system all that much. They don't update arch that fast. And KDE Plasma, it was 
I'm pretty sure it's still an older version even now. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing because when you compare that with Blend OS, it doesn't really matter if the underlying core doesn't change super fast as long as the applications are there. And with their Blend package management and having all the different containers, you get that functionality of all the apps are updated even if the immutable base system isn't. Yeah. So that's super fascinating. And I can't wait to try it and keep playing with it because I suspect I'll be using this for quite a while. You bring up an interesting point. The hardware enablement, though, if they're not updating the system on regular, it doesn't matter for SteamOS, right? Because it's the hardware staying the same, essentially. But for all this desktop usage, I wonder how quickly the Blend OS is rolling in the Arch hardware enablement and kernel updates and things behind the scenes into Blend mm -hmm. OS to yeah, allow true. us to, you know, like if a new NVIDIA GPU drops or a new AMD, I should say, GPU or CPU drops, are we going to have the hardware the moment it hits in regular Arch enabled in Blend OS? That's something we'd have to, if you know in the community, let us know. Or yeah. Blend OS dev wants to come on and talk about Blend OS. You are very welcome. You're royalty now here in Destiny yeah. Linux. Well, You're yes. royalty. In I love fact, that. it was uh, invented and developed developed by Rudra Saraswat, who's the, actually the maintainer of Ubuntu Unity in the Unity desktop environment. Yeah, Jeez. and a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and, and a lot of cool stuff. And very young, too. Amazing yeah, I met Rudra developer. at the Ubuntu Summit That's last right, year. That's right, you did, huh? And it was fascinating to talk to him because he, <laughs> he knows so much more than I do now about how Linux systems work. And he's so, so much young. It makes me feel like I have to accomplish nothing in yeah. my life. <laughs> Rudra for president. That's yes. what I'm going for. Yeah. And exactly. do you know, we were talking about how stable it is, uh, Ryan. It was just released in January of this year. No kidding. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I kept seeing people randomly ask, you know, everyone's been telling us to try an immutable OS. And I've tried them. I've tried Fedora Silverblue and stuff. And it was like, right. oh, okay, I'm in Fedora and lots of flat packs. And then you got this tree thing that you go into is why I, I mean for certain cases i get why but for me i was like yeah it's not that i don't like fedora silver blue nor appreciate the work they do let me be clear just for me specifically i was like i i don't see why this is going to be any big advantageous for me whereas blend os for me and my workflow is just like it, it just fits what i want to do perfectly like it's yeah amazing it fits <laughs> fedora like silver Thanos blue glove is sure fedora silver blue is great for people who want something that is the, the baseline thing that's also mutable. And I think what Ubuntu is doing with their Ubuntu core and potentially having a desktop based on that would be also pretty interesting and maybe mm -hmm. even uh, very yeah, good potential. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, might, it has potential, I think, for some people like that. But I think BlendOS is the most interesting for us, and I am super excited. And, and yes, we would like for the developer to come on, Rudra, if you would like to yeah. uh, get in touch. We will roll out the red carpet. Yes. <laughs> Even though I'm the Thanos gauntlet. I have give the gauntlet. Him the gauntlet. <laughs> I can't give him the gauntlet. I am Thanos. I'm not giving him the gauntlet. <laughs> well, to be fair, he gave you the gauntlet. That's true. <laughs> All right, Michael. So we've talked about how much we love Blend OS, and that's genuine. Like, we legit love it. But there's also this other operating system that keeps calling me. <laughs> it keeps calling me, asking me, like, you got to try me again. I'm doing some amazing things. Wait, is it uh, is it prank calls, like marketing's calls? Like it market, could be. Uh, like, you need telephone to marketers uh, update and stuff? the insurance on your yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, your warranty is expired. <laughs> warranty expired. That's what I was going for. It's those right. kind of calls. So... The rumors are buzzing around a 
change that might be happening to Windows. For those who are curious what we're talking about, yes. we're talking about Windows. And we're talking about on a consumer level potential for Microsoft 365, which would be completing a cloud version of Windows instead of having a local install. Now, this buzz is allegedly coming from insiders to Microsoft who are stating that this new system will be subscription-based, maybe even around as low as $10 per month. Basically, your, your PC would boot up and you would log in with a prompt to get a cloud-based version of Windows 11. From there, you would log in and have all of your files available to you. Now, this type of option is already available to enterprise customers. This makes employees able to log in from any PC in the office and immediately have access to their data and take their profiles with them to any new PC very easily. It's also something that the Chromebooks and Chrome OS have ability to do as well. So it, there is some uses of this already in the market. Yeah. So it makes sense that they would want to do this. But let's talk about the viability of it becoming a desktop option. So Jill, what do you think about this particular news? Six years ago, actually, when Microsoft Office 365 launched, I remember thinking that this was the direction that Windows was headed yep. to the cloud. I mean, even way back when, because once they put 365 on the cloud or Office on the cloud, I knew, oh, this is this is coming. <laughs> yeah. They even ended their Windows division re like a couple years ago. Yeah. And everyone was expecting Windows 10 to be the last version of Windows ever. <laughs> yeah. And then Windows 11 came out. Yes, that's yep. <laughs> so true. And actually, this is one of the reasons why Linux became so important to them, because guess what OS Microsoft uses on the back end for its cloud infrastructure? Linux. <laughs> oh, you didn't even yeah. let us guess, Jill. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get a chance to guess. <laughs> yes, sorry. I was going to go Android <laughs> or something from OS. <laughs> so, you know, and Microsoft does want want to capture the users and students from Chrome OS in the classrooms. And this would yeah. be a great way for them to do that and make Windows the dominant system in the schools once again. So yeah, yeah it would be a smart move. And But I think one of the reasons why Microsoft is probably hesitating on making this available to consumers is that much of the United States and other countries don't have access to broadband yet, and they would lose lots of Windows users. <laughs> I think another reason why they don't have this as an available to consumers yet is because it's a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I, so I think there's a couple of things. Number one is... You know, some rumors are that it's going to be both the cloud-based version, so you have that subscription fee that you're already paying for your Office 365. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, mm -hmm. they got most people using Microsoft yeah. because of Office 365 oh, being the subscription Absolutely. portion. They've already got people locked in. Then you have their OneDrive, which is a fantastic deal. Like their space that they give you on top of your Office 365 subscriptions, like a terabyte. And when you try yeah, to shop that fair. around, you you basically get Office 365 plus a ton of storage for the price that other places just charge you for storage. So they know what they're doing. They're, yeah. they're probably taking a little bit of a loss on some of this stuff just to get people kind of hooked and addicted to this. And then now it's like, hey, for $5 more a month, or maybe they won't even give you the option. If you want Office 365, you automatically get Windows 11 in the cloud. And so you'll have an option probably at first to utilize Office or Windows 11, I'm sorry, in the cloud. So if you're traveling or something else and you go to a hotel computer, you can open a browser, open up your Windows 11 instance and have access to all your files right there. It seems pretty convenient. 
But when you go home, your machine would have a regular local install of Windows that just syncs between the two. My guess is that's what they're going to do. But then eventually they'll release the Chromebook-like setup, right? Where your only option when you boot up is going to, and they'll probably do it on a really cheap device. So it'll be like, hey, for $150, you get a screen and a keyboard, and it connects in the cloud with a subscription fee to this Windows 11. You get Office 365 and everything else you need there. From a Microsoft standpoint, it's brilliant. Actually, you've convinced me. I now think this is a thrilling idea, and I hope that they do this because they're going to be doing it with Windows 11, which everyone hates, and thus everyone will hate this service. And perfect. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now, the the main problem is you get the advantage of the accessibility. You get the advantage of, I think, a lot more security controls that could be put in place from the viruses and other things, right, that they're going to obviously be... Uh, on top of making sure executables are not getting behind and ruining the entire server infrastructure that's powering all of this. I think you'll have a lot more security by default and things like that. Likely immutable layers that will be underneath this, Mm -hmm. uh, like we were just talking about with Blend OS. But the problem is with privacy. My privacy alarms are going crazy right now. (laughs) Yes. They are ringing in my ear so loud like drums beating. You've got a situation in which you're not just giving metadata, you're literally giving everything, access to everything. And also very personal stuff because with, with the enterprise approach, at least those files are under a contract with the company, and maybe you could argue that that's, that's okay or whatever. But with this, you have a personal, all your personal data is yeah. stored on on their servers. So it's not even like you they have a copy like Dropbox or whatever. And I mean, I guess in the beginning, like you said, that they might do a combination hybrid thing, but mm-hmm. eventually that's really the idea of a cloud-based system is that they have everything stored on their servers. And to me, it sounds like a nightmare come to life. I yeah. would never want that. I mean, I'm not saying that a cloud-based operating system process or service would be a bad idea, even for having Windows on that service. That could be useful for a variety of reasons, having specific applications that you need to run or whatever. That does sound pretty good. I just fear that Microsoft will do the Microsoft thing and choose the worst possible path and remove local computing entirely and I kind of expect that's where they're going with it. So it doesn't seem like a great idea. If it was someone else, another company, it probably still wouldn't be a great idea because I don't <laughs> like the idea of having my, all my files stored. Well, so it's not really an anti-Microsoft it's thing. And, yeah. It's just like, a, I don't like this idea. It's that and all the access to your hardware because if you have a situation where you're logging into an OS through the cloud and that's your only option, then you're going to do your webcam through there. You're going to do your oh, microphone yeah, through there. All of that, it's going to have access to power on. And then not even Microsoft. Let's assume Microsoft are all Boy Scouts and just fantastic people. But if somebody was able to compromise some of that stuff, imagine what they could be able to do from a privacy standpoint, oh, yeah. which happens with like these ring cameras and all the other stuff all the time. So let's not act like it can't happen. Now, there are situations where there are services like this that exist right now that I think are really good. For instance, Shells. Shells yep. runs yes. cloud operating systems. And the idea isn't to replace your entire operating system, although you could. Uh, The idea is really that you have an operating system you can take with you anywhere on the go, access from your phone, you can access it from a tablet, you can access it from anywhere, and have the ability to execute certain things. Now, even in Shell's case, I probably would not put my most personal files uh, up there on the cloud operating system, but I would put files for show notes and things like that, video recordings and stuff that 
I'm not worried about getting leaked into the public and still enjoy the convenience of having a cloud OS. So I think Microsoft's on to something here if these rumors are true with the cloud OS. How they implement it will be very interesting. I think they know they're probably going to have to have an iterative situation where people are going to get really mad at the idea unless the hardware is super cheap. And that's how like Chromebook kind of got into the market too. So if you come out with a $150 laptop, really nice screen, and you just have a cloud OS, there's a lot of people who don't think or care about privacy at all and will buy these by the boatload probably. Yeah. I think this is a good idea overall for certain things like institutions for education or enterprise businesses and that sort of stuff. I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of potential. I have had personal experience in like the, when I used to work in the IT, like tech support or used to work in consultations for IT stuff. And I had an ex ex experience where a particular company wanted to do this kind of approach, but they didn't really want to do it. They wanted to have a local server that handled everything. Yeah. And what they did is have everything powered by Windows. I tried to get them to do a Linux server, which would just deploy the Windows machines in the VM for them, but they still wanted to do this. And then I basically was like, okay, I'm going to wash my hands of the situation. I come back six months and they want me to fix some stuff. I see what the problem is and immediately leave and say, no, thank you. And that's because they decided to do this whole deployment of Windows with XP. And this was not that long ago. This was maybe six or seven years ago. XP had been dead for a long time <laughs> and a terrible idea for a long time, but they still kept doing it. And the reason they gave me for using XP is that they did a security audit, an in-house security audit by one person who said that they were not a security risk. Oh, this was a boy. law firm. Oh, jeez. 100% <laughs> security risk. That's just... That's a, that's a law firm automatically, right? So there are definitely institutions that would benefit for something that was basically taken off of their plate and done for them in a way that was more convenient, yeah. more secure, more private, preferably. In this case, I don't know how the contracts work with these kinds of companies, but I think it would be fascinating in terms of how valuable it would be for these kinds of situations. The vast majority of people, I think, will hate this because yeah. especially idea of not being able to run games because there's no way you're going to do cloud gaming. That, they, that's that been tested and abandoned. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I don't know that that's true. I mean, NVIDIA has come a long way. I have videos showing cloud gaming on a Chromebook. Doesn't work well. But <laughs> I think it's possible. I don't think it's unlocked. I, I agree with you. It's not unlocked yet. But so... In any case, I think that we'll see what Microsoft does here, but it's inevitable that they're going to try to push this cloud thing. I yeah, think it so. was inevitable five years ago when people mentioned it then, and I think it's probably likely we hear the rumors coming that we'll see something like this because Windows 11 is like really boring. Hot garbage. Yep. Oh, you're yeah, boring. Okay. Fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is not a very fun operating system. It's not Blend OS, that's for sure. Yes. But you know... That's for sure. <laughs> sometimes you have to go back in time right? To think about things that were really enjoyable. Like there was Windows 7 that was actually a fantastic Windows operating system. Windows 10 then, wasn't that bad. Yeah, Windows 10 wasn't that bad. And so when you go back in the past, even in gaming, you have things that were great back then, like text-based gaming. Twisted Metal. Yes. Twisted Metal. Do you know they're making a TV show off of that? What? No yeah, joke. Yeah, it's going to be on that. like Paramount Plus, and yeah. it's a Twisted Metal that video is, game. TV that show. sounds awesome, 
and terrifying. Because <laughs> for anybody who played Twisted Metal Black, the cutscenes that they did were very messed up. Yeah. So I am both very intrigued and terrified by this. Yeah, you can come over to my house. I'll keep you safe while you watch Twisted Metal. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, it's well. not happening. <laughs> But speaking of things from the past, Jill, I have an idea when I was going through the show notes that you've probably played your fair share of text-based adventure games. Mm-hmm. Am I right or wrong? Oh, absolutely. I have spent many hours you know, playing text adventures, gosh, on my old Apple II from the late 70s and early 80s. That's <laughs> when I started with text adventures. I knew it. I just knew yeah. that when I when I saw this and I put this game in the show notes that Jill was going to be like, oh, Jill will get this. Jill will totally. Zeb would hate this. Jill will totally get this. It's not my thing either. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, the game we're going to talk about, the, the wonderful text adventure we're going to talk about today is called A Dark Room. This was a mobile game and now has been ported to the PC. Mm-hmm. The game was very... Well received on mobile, and like many great text adventures before, it's all about the awesome story. A Dark Room is an extremely innovative text based adventure that harkens back to the magic of Zork and NetHack. And boy, I spent hours in NetHack and Zork. I had no idea what they were talking about when I Zork and NetHack. <laughs> I actually played Zork. Okay. Never heard of NetHack. Oh, okay. And it's it's also Zork is kind of the most popular text game it or is. text adventure game in even like the pop culture in the nerd world. Yeah. So I'm surprised you haven't heard of Zork. But now that you say that, I remember seeing Zork somewhere, but I've never played it. Yeah, oh. it's on like TV shows even reference it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically, I'm thinking of the TV show Chuck, which is pretty good. I'm pretty oh. sure Zork is still around. Somebody's keeping oh, servers yeah. of it up because somebody sent me to it at some point. Now that I'm looking at the screen for it, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, NetHack, Ryan, started a whole genre of uh, hacking games that I still play to this day. Of course you and, do, And um, A Dark Room, though, you know, adds actually in a, a very modern spin on this classic genre. And the game is so cool. It begins with the player awakening in a cold, dark room after a mysterious event. That makes sense considering the name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And initially, the player uh, can only light and tend to a fire in the room. As the game progresses, the player gains the abilities to collect resources, interact with strangers, start a village, and explore the world. Shouldn't talk to strangers. But what's amazing about this game and makes it so progressive and unique is the use of sound effects. It Mm. has like the crackling of a roaring fire or the movement of dry brush on the forest floor really help progress the story in a very unique and cerebral way. It's kind of like a theater of the mind without voices, just with sound effects and text prompts on what you should do next. (laughs) The sound design of this game is very good. I was shocked how good it was. And it's, it makes sense because of how important sound would be to a text-based game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know we didn't have we didn't have sound back in the seventies and eighties. Just had your imagination. Just had Michael, your imagine ma- that. Had the theater of the mind. Imagination. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> I um, think these type no. of games are fascinating because you can't hide behind anything. Your story yeah. writing has to be Spot. solid for people yeah. to enjoy this. You can't hide behind graphics. You know, you're not going to have all of this fancy stuff to kind of uh, overlay on top of mistakes and things that you made. Your story just has to be completely solid. And the fact that we still have text-based adventures coming out today that are popular mm-hmm. like this is fascinating to me. I think it's awesome. I think it's yeah. interesting. Maybe this is like a ninja approach to marketing for a book this person is writing and using this mm-hmm. game as a unique marketing thing. That's pretty clever. Good point. I don't yeah. I don't know if that's what it is, but I'm I'm just kind of well, wondering. It's probably really hard to publish a book these days. So what a great way if you're an yeah. aspiring writer to get your content out there. And text-based adventures are not that hard to write, especially thanks to things like Python and such. And so what a, what a great opportunity to uh, show off your writing skills, even if you don't plan to turn it into a book. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a very different genre from the game, the other game that we talked about that this uh, developer created, which was A Car That Turns. <laughs> Is this Wait, the this same, same developer? Person? Yes. <laughs> no kidding. I did not plan that. That's why. Yeah. I didn't know if you had or not. So right, one of the greatest the writers of a text-based adventure <laughs> yes. also just made a game called A Car That Turns. <laughs> yeah. That was that. That's when you hit that writer's block yes. and you're just like, I don't know. A I just need a car that turns. I need whatever. Yeah, need a car that turns. turns, do something yeah. mindless. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's it also kind of makes sense that, that there's this, there's a way of like a pattern of their titling that's a dark room, a car that turns. <laughs> yes. I guess yeah. their next game is also going to be a room a that turns. A room that turns. I was thinking like a room that turns because you had too much to drink that night. <laughs> <laughs> it's a drinking game. A, exactly. a car that moves slowly backwards on the crackling of the deteriorated pavement. Wow, Jill. Maybe you should write your own text-based adventure game. (laughs) I was completely enthralled. I want to know what happens next. Well, until then, until you write your next adventure, we're going to go on to our software spotlight, which is Anki. I think it's Anki. It's A-N-K-I. And I'm going to not just talk about the software spotlight, but I'm going to demonstrate the power of this through. So what this is, is it's a tool that allows you to have a more efficient study method utilizing the flashcards, but digitally. What I want to show you is how effective flashcards are at learning, because if you have to learn something really difficult or you need to memorize things for a test, flashcards are like a proven method. Jill, you can confirm this. You are a mm-hmm. university professor. Oh, They're absolutely. fantastic. So Michael, <laughs> I'm going to give you some flashcards Oh, here. here we go. All right. And so I'm going to give you the flashcard <laughs> and then I'm going to give you the answer. And then we're going to go through the questions real quick again and see if you memorize them. So best distro of 2023, obviously, is going to be Blend OS. <laughs> so remember that. And then we've got here, uh, Michael is a... And Brotato is the answer there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, here we have greatest DL hosts. And the answer is Ryan and Jill. All right. So <laughs> now let's show everyone how power of flashcards. I'm just going to ask you the questions now. Uh, greatest, two greatest DL hosts, Michael? So the the answer you put in there is incorrect. So I'm going to have to, I actually said it in the intro. Did you write this down during the show or did you actually have Don't this Don't worry about plan? that, Mike. Yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Well, it said Ryan and Jill on the flashcard. It says Ryan and Jill. Okay, okay. So you got that one right. And best distro of 2023 is? Blend OS is on there. Nailed it. And Michael is a? Amazing host of Destination Linux. 
No, Michael is a... Brotato. <laughs> oh, look at that. The power of flashcards right there. So anyone that needs to remember things in their daily life can benefit from Anki since it's content agnostic. It supports images, audio, videos, and scientific markup language. The possibilities for your flashcards are endless. Great thing for your kids if they're studying for a test or for you if you're studying for the next you know, exam out there or certification you're looking for. Hey, hey, Ryan. Yeah. What was the app name for remembering things? Anki. Oh, Anki. That's it. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to create a flashcard for it? Yeah, for you? perfect. <laughs> I think we need yeah. a flashcard. Here we go. That'd be perfect. Also, the tip of the week this week relates to Blend OS, the number one distro for 2023 based on those flashcards. And we're going to have some uh, multiple tips in here. One of the downfalls with Blend OS is the magnitude of settings that you will see in your menu. So if you go to your main system menu and you type in the word settings, you will see at least 20 different options. Now, if you want to get back to the containers part of the BlendOS system, then you go to the BlendOS settings specifically, and that's where all of that is configured. Now, the other thing that we're going to talk about is how to install packages on your system that are not related to the containers. Like you, drivers, you mean? Yes. Like, like if drivers. I want NVIDIA drivers, for instance? For, yes, exactly. So if like whatever driver you might need, whether it's NVIDIA or AMD, like OpenCL drivers or that sort of thing. And also, maybe KDE Connect. Uh, and by absolutely, I, I say, yes. I say maybe because I, in order to do it, you just run system install package name and it's, it's based on the Arch Linux repositories. So that's where you get the names from. And you will, of course, need sudo when you do the installation. But I recently tested that during the show and I did install KD Connect. Now it says I have to reboot to see if it works. So I can't reboot as we're recording the show. So I will let you know in the next episode. Not with that attitude, nice. you can't. <laughs> Perfect, in the next Michael. episode, I will All tell right. you. Uh, another thing to talk about is to install FlatSill so you can control the permissions for the various flat packs. This is something we've talked about previously on the show, but it's very important for using BlendOS. And also another way, we, Ryan talked about the ability to switch desktop environments. And there's this system thing, there's a system track in the BlendOS structure that you can use. And all you basically do is type the word system, then track, and then choose from the menu that it gives you. You just pick the number based on the DE that you want, and then... Reboot. You reboot. Yeah. yeah. Boom. You're in a new DE. Or Perfectly. you can edit the XML file and reboot into whatever desktop environment or window manager you want Please to Please quit include. showing off, Joe. Yeah. Why are you showing off, Joe? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And you can come join us on our Discord. Go to tuxdigital.com slash Discord to come hang out. And if you want to watch this show live, you can become a patron of Destination Linux. And watching the show live is just one of the awesome perks. You get so much more. You also get access to the, the patron-only section of the Discord server <gasps> where you'll get notifications of things we're going to be doing live. So we actually recording on a different day this week. So if you were a patron and you could be in, in that server, you would get notified anytime there's changes. Also, we just hang out with the patrons in there whenever so pretty much every day so go there become a patron tuxdigital.com slash membership get access to that channel and all the channels related to the, the membership system because it's not just destination linux you're becoming a patron of it's the entire network so tuxdigital.com slash membership to sign up 
Also go to tuxedo.com slash store because you can get a bunch of cool merch. We have hats, hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, coasters, stickers, so much more at tuxedo.com slash store. And make sure to check out all the incredible shows here on Tux Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, Linux Saloon, and our newest show, Fit and Fueled. And head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these incredible shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. And if you need a flashcard, you know where to get them. That's right. <laughs> Yay, Ryan. <laughs> I run Blend OS. Do you? Yes. It's oh. based on Arch, so I run Arch. I'm surprised. We should talk about that someday, Ryan. Yeah, I might bring it up in one of the future shows. Yeah, I think so. Thanks, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next episode.